So how humbling is it? When God prepares you. How he stirs your heart. How he breaks through all the walls that you've put up. How he knocks them down one by one. And then you're just broken. And if you're not broken, you're going to be. Father, just prepare us. We got a got a girl, uh, Rachel Barefoot, that's getting ready to go to Bethel in California. She's going out to uh, to just be filled. But how many of you guys know that that girl can't go and not empty? I mean, she's going to go and give and give and give, and she'll be filled. But not for long. It's kind of funny when you're 40 and you you got somebody that's in their early 20s that kind of one of your heroes, you know. She's not afraid to be filled and she's not afraid to empty. She doesn't hold on to things and she just releases them. Look at the smile. She got the smile. So we're all going to pray for her. Come on up here. Good to see you. So this is our missionary girl. And she's going to California. That's a pretty big mission field by itself. Right? So we're going to pray for her. So if you guys would just all extend your hands to her. Lord, we just bless this girl. We bless her heart. We know you've already filled her with your word, Lord. Your spirit is so alive in her. Lord, as she goes to to gain more knowledge, to gain more just trust and faith in you, Lord, and as she goes to spread your word to to other people, Lord, I just pray that you would just encourage her and strengthen her. That you would just... Put your hand upon her, Lord. As your word says that you'll just guide her path. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill her with the right words to say. Lord, when she stumbles on a word that you're right there to to fill her up. Lord, I would just pray that just like a missionary, Lord, that she just goes forth. She goes forth and spreads your word, Lord. We just thank you that you've put somebody like Rachel in our lives. Lord, we just ask that edge of protection be placed around her, that standing angels would keep watch over her, Lord. And we just love her. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, ready for a word? You guys could just play all sermon long. That'd be fine by me. <laughs> okay. 
Now, this is not a good joke. I know I'm short, but I'm not that short. <laughs> I'm reminded of that often, though, that maybe I am that short. All right. See, my boy knows it's funny. That's Bailey. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to... I'm sitting down today. Probably not, though, so I'm going to raise this. All right. So, um, how many of you guys have ever had something that you thought you're prepared for and then God says, hey, you know, I got something else for you. Uh, <laughs> that, no, it's like, no, it's, it's not working. Hold on. All right, now we got it. Anyways. Um, well, that's kind of like with me right now. So, uh, and I was trying to figure out, you know, the last couple weeks where God was really leading me in what I was talking about. I felt real strong that I was to talk about, um, you know, some some relevant current things. And one of them, I'm going to step back so I don't feel like I'm going to fall on Mike and his lovely bride. Okay, so um, so first thing, uh, you know, the, the scripture that God really laid on me was uh, in Jeremiah. And it's uh, 12, so chapter 12, 14 and 15. And I'm just going to read it real quick. And then we're going to get into the kind of meat of, of my message here. So, um, so now this is what the Lord says. As for all the evil nations reaching out for the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands, just as Judah will be uprooted from hers. But afterwards I will return and have compassion on all of them, and I will bring them home to their own lands again, each nation to its own inheritance. So, you know, that kind of kind of led me to a few different things, you know. You know, in that passage there, it talks about um, restoration, you know, about God having a judgment on something. And then after he takes it away, then he restores, you know. Um, and it doesn't say what, you know, it just says an inheritance, you know, inheritance is so broad. So for me, you know, when I got saved, of course, you know, he took away the hell part and he restored it with the heaven part. You know, um, so we're going to kind of get into um, some personal, or not personal stuff, but some personal events from some other people. So um, one thing that when we're when I, my wife and I were teaching the youth, we talk about um, people that you know are kind of in the spotlight. So we're going to go over two people that are in the spotlight right now. Josh Hamilton and Michael Vick. And yeah, and both of them are very relevant and very much now. Um, so first we're going to go over is Josh Hamilton. Now, a lot of you guys might not know who Josh Hamilton is. So I'm going to tell you. Um, in 1999, he was drafted number one overall in the uh, Major League uh, Baseball draft. Um, and he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Devil Race. Uh, he was paid $3.93 million. Uh, that was the biggest contract ever handed out to a number one pick. If any of you guys are baseball fans, he was taken uh, before Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett went number two. So those are two pretty good Joshes right there, back to back. Uh, his first year of ball, he was a minor league MVP. Um, he was also player of the year in Class A ball. And he was named uh, the most outstanding prospect that same year. So that was from 1999 to 2000. 
Um, he wasn't expected to make the major leagues, you know, and, and actually play um, every day in front of TV. But, um, you know, he always had that aspiration. Um, and, you know, he was on a, a rising star. You know, he was, he was going to be something. So we're going to go through uh, what happened in the year 2001 to 2005. Well, 2001, he was injured repeatedly. Um, and because he had so much downtime, when you're on rehab, you're away from your team. So he was on rehab, and he started, uh, he started tattooing himself all over. It's kind of a way to express himself. He says that people will come up to him and say, hey, what do your tattoos mean? He liked the pain. That's what they meant. They, didn't, they don't have any particular meaning. You know, this is not a story like some guys you see tattoos. Oh, what's the story of that? And they've got something. He doesn't have anything. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but because of that, he met some shady people at the tattoo place. Uh, the first time that he drank was with these guys in his life. That same day, he did cocaine for the first time. Uh, shortly after that, he's a crack addict. Shortly after that, he's kicked out of baseball for repeatedly violating their drug substance abuse policy. So now he's completely out of baseball with nowhere to go. He's literally living in crack houses and going from place to place. He has a home, a really nice home, but he hardly ever goes and visits it because that's where his folks are in the same town. Um, he does somehow sober up enough to get married and also to become a father. Anthony relapses again. And uh, it, it, part of his story is his daughter was just born. Daughter's born and his wife, uh, and he's clean. His wife says, hey, can you go, uh, I need you to go get a onesie or something. So he jumps in his car, doesn't come back for six days. He relapses that same day at the bar. Does crack that same day. Hadn't did it for seven or eight months. Now he's completely, completely gone. And finally, his wife separates from him, takes the kids with him, you know. So that was from 2001 to 2005. He lost four years of his life right there. But in the fall of 2005, he found salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, lots of prayer from his grandma. He recovered from alcohol and drugs. Uh, physically and mentally restored. You know, he talked about coughing up black blobs of gunk from his lungs. He called it crack tar. You know, this guy's 6'4", 240 pounds. Just all muscle if you ever seen him. You, you probably have seen him. Yeah. So uh, he also was able, you know, the restoration was also with his kids and his, and his wife. You know. She had never even seen him play baseball. How about that? How about getting married to a girl, number one pick, and she doesn't even know that you really even played ball. She saw him swing the bat the first time and he hit a home run. It was just a practice session. And she says, I'm really surprised. And he says, at what? That you're that good and you threw all that away. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a girl. 
They're pretty smart, you know. Uh, anyway, so in 2006, he's reinstated to, to Major League Baseball. And the Devil Rays traded him to the Cubs because they were just done with him, who traded him the same day to the Reds, and that was his rookie season. And he hit like 290. But then he got traded, you know, teams they have fire sales to clear money. Got traded to the Rangers in 07. In 2008, he was voted to the All-Star Game. By the break, he had like 94, 95 RBIs, which is huge. You know, the record's like 160-something or something like that. He was the leading vote-getter uh, for uh, an outfielder. And during the Home Run Derby, he hit 28 consecutive home runs. Put in perspective, the same round, the next highest was eight. I mean, these guys are major league ball players, right? He was voted again this year, 2009, to the All-Star Game, despite being injured for most of the first half of the season. So, you know, things are all looking up, you know. And if any of you guys know Josh Hamilton, this is what broke the week uh, of um, the first week of August. Uh, he relapsed. He relapsed back in January. When he relapsed, uh, it was all caught on film. So, you know, you can imagine the scrutiny that he's under. And the thing about Josh Hamilton, and the same thing with, with uh, Michael Vick, is, you know, they made public announcements. They understand they're going to be under a lot of scrutiny because of their faith, because they've said that Jesus Christ is the, is the one responsible for where they're at, Right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail. But next we're going to go on to Michael Vick. And this one's, you know, most, most people know who this guy is. Maybe not so much Josh Hamilton, but Michael Vick, he, Michael Vick for sure. So he's a college football player, you know, played at Vatech, at Virginia Tech. Um, placed third in his, in his freshman season in the Heisman balloting for the, for the most outstanding player in college football. It's pretty amazing as a freshman. He was picked uh, first overall in 2002 draft by the Atlanta Falcons, and he was named to the Pro Bowl in two seasons, 2002 and 2004. Uh, he led his team to a couple playoff appearances. And this is where it gets kind of interesting. He's got his third all-time in career rushing yards for a quarterback. He has the most 100-yard rushing games. He's rushed for the most yards in a single season, over a thousand. I don't think the Lions have had a thousand yard rusher forever, right? So that's perspective right there, right? And he holds the highest per game rushing average for quarterback. So he's pretty awesome physically, right? So, and that is from 2000 to 2007. Um, and in August of 2007, he was named in a dog fighting ring. And everybody knows this story by the federal government. And he pleads guilty to federal charges for dog fighting and animal cruelty. I mean, it, there's a good photo. Tristan, you can see the one where he's being... Uh, ex- er, there he is right there. Oh, look at that. That's fine digital quality. <laughs> you can see the guy's star, though, there. So anyway, so, you know, he's being arrested here. Um, can you imagine this? I mean, he's had insult to injury. Then he gets sued by the Atlanta Falcons, the team that he plays for. And he has to give, out of a $39 million bonus, he's got to give $20 million of it back because he breached his contract. 
That's a lot of coin. But it's said that he's lost an estimated $135 million in endorsements. So not only did he lose his contract to play ball, he also lost all the endorsements. But the best part is, well, here's one. Anthony filed bankruptcy protection, too. Best part is, though, is after pleading guilty, I remember seeing the, uh, the press conference. And I remember him professing Jesus Christ as a Savior. And I remember especially seeing the look in his eyes, you know. You know the same one that I talked about while the music was playing, you know, where you're just broken. And it, for me, it didn't look like he was saying it to get out of a prison or to, or to maybe get Nike not to drop him, you know. Um, he looked like he was scared out of his mind. And he should have been. He was going to go to prison. But he did that publicly. He could have kept it on the back burner. But he did it publicly. So he, so he put it out there for everybody to see. And shortly after that, uh, everybody know who Tony Dungy is? Or, you know, for the most part. He's a devout Christian. He used to be a head coach for the uh, Baltimore. Well, not the Baltimore. See, that's how old I am. I remember that, right? The Indianapolis Colts. Um, not only does he, uh, Tony's the only guy to visit him in, the, in prison, but he also becomes his personal mentor. That's a pretty awesome mentor right there. You know? And Tony Dungy's went through a lot of things. So, you know, he gets out of prison, and he's finally, prayers are met, and he's reinstated to the NFL. And then uh, just a couple weeks ago, he gets signed by, by Philly, by the Eagles. And now he's a Philadelphia Eagle. So, you know, God has really directed me to talk about this. You know, he's talking about what's public reaction to all this. You know, I mean, you guys have all seen the signs. Uh, Chelsea and I, we were kind of cruising, looking at some, some photos on the Internet of, of Vic. I mean, and some of them were absolutely appalling. I mean, they'd show him with a dog, you know, with its face half ate off, you know. Or or dead dogs laying all around him, and Vic standing in the middle of him with a football, you know. Um, or you hear the comments, the comments that that guy right there, you know, he believes in Jesus Christ saved him. Well, where's his Jesus now? As if he expected that person that said that expected God to make every decision for that guy. So, you know, you, you look at all that and you look about the persecution from people, you know, Christians alike. I mean, when, when you think of Josh Hamilton, first thing I think about is he's a saved guy. And boy, I hope he can stay sober and straight because if he can't, the persecution from people that are just waiting to pounce on him, to point out that you're a hypocrite. That and, and, you know, a non-believer doesn't need any more ammo because every one of you guys add fuel to his fire to some degree, even though we try not to. They can pick apart us better than we can pick apart ourselves. Um, so, you know, but before I got into all that, you know, God put a couple other scriptures on, my, uh, on me. Um, so we're going we're gonna to read that Jeremiah one one more time. And I want you to, instead of uh, nations, substitute um, yourselves. As for all the evil 
I'd say me. Evil nations instead of evil nations. Evil curses reaching out for the inheritance I gave my people Israel. I will uproot them from their lands just as Judah will be uprooted from hers. But afterwards I will return and have compassion on all of them, on all of me, on me. He's going to have compassion for me after he uproots me. And I'll, I'll bring them home. I'll bring Chris home to their, their own lands again. And, and each of them will have their own inheritance. See, he has, he has judgment, but he has mercy. So my whole thing was to show you guys, yeah, you know, you, you have, you've got this judgment thing. And we have to make sure that we have the mercy that God showed us and that we can give it back the guy that needs it, right? So we cannot look hypocritical, right? So once then I had some really cool scriptures, so we're going to read a couple of, ones, a couple of them here. So uh, in Jonah uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, when God said that they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and he did not carry out the destruction. God knew that there was a judgment to be had and, and they pled and they changed their ways, and God acknowledged it, and he saved them from sure destruction. You know, again, a mercy and a judgment. He knew the judgment was fair, but he showed his mercy and his compassion, and he didn't follow through with it. I mean, he's did that with every one of us. My dad and I always always talk back and forth, you know, and, and some of the things that we've talked about, you know, is, man, it is such a great thing that God is not fair. I mean, I mean, if God was fair, I'd be a puddle right here, you know. I mean, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Probably wouldn't even be a puddle. So, um, so another one that he dropped on me was uh, Romans eight thirty three through thirty seven, and I am gonna read that for you guys. It's a little long one, but it's well worth it. Ooh. All right, oh, here we go. Double stickies. Okay, so who dares accuse us whom the Lord has chosen for his own? Well, God, no. No, He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Well, one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Well, Jesus Christ, no, for he is the one who died for us and who was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of the highest honor next to God pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Or calamity? Or, or are persecuted? Or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Even the scriptures say that for your sake we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep, but no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. And that was enough for me, you know. I mean, that was really, was enough. And then I read this article. You know, pastor likes to call the rabbit trail, but, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, where the rest of my sermon was. 
And, uh, you know, I thought I had it, you know, which sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And uh, I got this article, and it's, uh, it's entitled, Michael, Vick and Jesus. And it turned a spotlight on me, just on me. It says, it seems that too many people want justice until it comes to them. And then they want forgiveness. And it seems too many Christians with lowercase, and he acknowledges that. He says, yeah, I know I put it in small caps because that's the way I feel about these hypocrites. So this isn't a nice article, right? So he goes on and he says, uh, you know, too many Christians are busy sharpening their swords or using it against someone else. It seems like the economics of forgiveness and reconciliation are in short supply these days. And ain't that the fact? The very people who claim to follow Jesus are usually the ones that are quick to throw rocks. Instead of holding out the hand of fellowship and love, they shake a clenched fist. And it says, yeah, I can see Jesus being saddened by what Michael Vick did to a living creature. And I can also see Jesus being saddened by the way we're too quick to condemn and too slow to love and forgive and reconcile. And when it all boils down to the company I'd rather keep, Give me the company of sinners, losers, thieves, and drunks. And I prefer them to the religious in the old day. And you know what? Jesus did too. And there's more. You know, I'm going to just welcome you guys. All I hear is sinners and losers and thieves and drunks and murderers. Because that's what we all are. But here's a guy that's not saved, I assume. It's funny, though, he uses Christian in a small caps, but Jesus is in a large cap. So he has some respect. Either that or his word perfect just wouldn't let him lowercase it. (laughs) I'm hoping that that's the case. I'm not much of a computer guy, so I'm going with that's the case, though. But, you know, look look at how we look at each other, though. Look at how the outside looks in at us. But then I realized that, you know, I, I'm a lot like that, though. You know, the, the hypocritical part, you know, that it's easy to say, yeah, you know, I like how this is run, but I don't like how that's run. You know, I, I, like, I like how this guy's walking his walk, and this guy's not walking his walk, and that doesn't appeal to me. How can a guy that's worth $200 million be sincere that Christ is a Savior? Or a guy that's a crack addict that comes back and then stumbles again and thinks he's doing more damage than he is good to his walk. And he knows it and he public you know holds holds himself accountable publicly because he declares that Christ is his savior. And that's the only thing that got him through his addiction. So, you know, where, where does that line up, you know? So so I read that. But then I then I realized that you know it, it's uh it's a lot like where I'm at, you know. It's a point of trust in God with everything. You know, and I'm like, Lord, you know, what's the tie-in? what's the tie-in to Michael Vick and Josh Hamilton? And a guy that gives me this text right here. I'm gonna read you something here. You know, I, I know a lot of people. And some of the stuff I don't ever want to know. But this one here, 
I saved it just for you guys. Hold on one sec. We're almost there. All right, here we go. It says, uh, will I ever get to work with you even if it's only to make 250 or $300 every two weeks? I need something. My bike got stolen, so I have no transportation. I need work so if you can at least so I can at least get a vehicle so I'm not so stressed out. I wish I could die. So if I can work with you, I'd I'd really appreciate it. I mean what do you what do you do with something like that? You know? Where's the guy's trust? I mean, where's my trust? I mean, I go gripping from week to week if people are going to pay me in my business. I mean, but I'm easy to criticize a guy like Michael Vick or Josh Hamilton. And maybe not those two guys, but, you know, people that I criticize. So, you know, God led me to this scripture. And uh, it's Exodus 16, verse 2 and 3. You know, and if there was ever one that I thought that I'd probably remember for a long time, it's probably this one right here. And it says, And there to the whole community of Israel spoke against, spoke bitterly against Moses and Aaron. So this is while uh, Moses and Aaron are leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And they're going to the promised land, right? In verse 3 it says, Oh, that we were back in, in Egypt, they moaned. And it would have been better if the Lord had killed us there. At least we had plenty to eat. <laughs> Guy that got to eat. I mean, I can understand what he's saying there. Right? But now you have brought us into the desert to starve us to death. So here's, here's, my, here's my, my whole thing is that, you know, you, you can trust, you, you have to trust God wholly, Right? You can't say that you're in the promised land, but it's going to be squandering in the wilderness trying to get there. You can't be comfortable with all the things you left in Egypt and carry them with you into the promised land. You know, I, I saw a great explanation of it, and it said that it's a wilderness experience, and you can be sustained there, but you can never be satisfied there. You know, how true is that? I mean, I can be sustained right where I'm at. You know, I can keep eking by on whatever it is that I'm eking by with. And then I can sit there the rest of my life. Or I can trust God that God does have this big crazy plan because he does. And I can walk in it and I can be satisfied with it. And I can get out of the wilderness and make the crossover, right? One of the notes that I had, I, I put here, I said, I, for one, am ready to, to move fully into the promised land that I have to surrender wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, so I can be holy, H-O-L-Y, right? I mean, you got to give it all up. You know, um, you know, Scripture talks about God wanting to prosper you. He doesn't want to harm you, right? So prosper means a whole lot of things. I mean, it can be relationships, right? It can be in your child raising. It can be emotionally, spiritually, physically, 
financially. You know, all those things. You know, he wants to prosper every single one. He just doesn't go around and pick one, right? I mean, if he did, it would say so, you know? I mean, and I think that's what we have to, have to really hang on to, you guys, is, is the fact that, that he does want to prosper us. And he wants to deliver us, but he needs us to trust him. He needs us not to be judgmental. He needs us to, if we're judgmental, that just opens us up for other people to judge us. So, um, as we move on, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it, just, it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And, it, and where God really led me was to, to encourage you guys about the whole trust thing. Um, that the forgiveness and mercy that we have come to expect is for everyone and it's not just for you. You know, it's just not for this body of believers here. Um, I put in here, uh, my dad had, had a really cool conversation where we were talking about the body of Christ, you know, and how this is just a little sliver of the body of Christ, you know. It's like less than a cell, you know. It's just a little. Um, but how we're uh, personally connected for some reason, you know. And I like this. I, I like uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you guys hold me accountable. You know, you, you guys also uh, are here to teach me. And to lift me up, right? To encourage. You're also here to push or to stretch. Um, like maybe your views are different on things. And that's not how God's talking to you in, in, this, in the word here in the Bible. But he talks to, in the discussion my dad and I were talking about hearing, uh, hearing from God and carrying a message to somebody. I've had to do that four times. And two of them were friendly messages. And two of them <laughs> weren't so friendly messages, you know. But I had to do them, right? So, so I did what I, what I did. But, um, you know, everybody's views on that sort of thing are, are, are different, you know. And it's great that we're not all the same, you know. I mean, I like, I like people's uniqueness. If they're all like me, you guys would be pretty boring, <laughs> you know. You know so so um, uh, must remember that God deserves our trust. And he deserves it. Because he doesn't have to earn it. Right? I mean, an unbeliever, somebody that's not so sure about what God really is, you know. You know, Lord, I will follow you if you do this. And if this works out, then I'll know it's you. And I'm not saying that you can't put your golden fleece out on things, you know. Because that's a great example. But... But you can't have your own restrictions and your own thoughts, your own parameters on how God works like that, right? Um, so I'm going to give you some scriptures here, and then I'm going to read you one last thing. Oh, we're looking, we're looking really close on time. So I'm going to hurt. I'm going to give you. I'm not going to read these. I'm going to kind of paraphrase them a little bit, but I'm going to give them to you. They'll all be on the notes on the web. So, so anyway, so. First one, uh, we're going to talk about trust. This is just trust. So this is all encouraging notes for you. So in Psalms 37, 3, it says, paraphrase it, trust in the Lord and do good. And you will satisfy, you'll, you will live safely in the land and you'll prosper. Right? In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will direct your path. I mean, Rachel knows. 
because she's going to be directed. Just like we all will if we trust in him, right? John 12, verse 44, Jesus says, if you trust me, you trust God. Right? I mean, that's a stretch sometimes for us. In John uh, three eighteen, those who trust him have no judgment waiting for them. And praise God for that. You know. Hebrews ten twenty three, God can be trusted to keep his promises when he promises to prosper you and not hurt you. Right? First John uh, chapter five and verse four and five. I'm gonna read that one. Because this is a powerful one. This is the other one that really hit home with me this week. And it says, For every child of God defeats this evil world by trusting Jesus to give the victory. And I was just going to leave it like that, right? But verse 5 is great. And the ones who win this battle against the world are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. How about that? That's a good one right there. I mean, you've got to believe to have the victory. But it says right there that it's, it's there and it's just waiting for you. So, uh, that's kind of where it all ended. And then, uh, you know, I, I went to a Goodwill store and I got an awesome book. And, you know, I, I was looking for another scripture that kind of really hit home, you know. And I read the back of it. And uh, it's a Max Lucado book. And I was going to, you know, kind of make up my own sort of same thing. But I'm just going to read you what his says. And it's called The Luggage of Life. And it says, Odds are you did this this morning. Somewhere between the first step on the floor and the last step out the door, you grabbed some luggage. And you stepped over to the luggage carousel and you loaded up. And the carousel is not one in the airport. It's the one in your mind. And the bags we grab are not made of leather. They're made of burdens. You know, the devil just loads you down with them. He does. But trust will replace that, right? And he goes on, he says, the suitcase of guilt and the trunk of discontent, the backpack of anxiety that keeps me up at night. You know, just gripping for the next day. In a hanging bag of grief and add on the briefcase of perfectionism or an overnight bag of loneliness and a duffel bag of fear. No wonder we are so tired at the end of the day. Amen to that. So, you, you know, to get through all that, to sleep at night. You know, so I, I didn't grab this scripture, but I remember reading a scripture that talked about the righteous man can sleep. <laughs> And sleep fitfully. Not crazy like. Not waking up and thinking about everything else that you have to do the next day. You know. And mine might be my business. But yours might be a relationship. You know. Yours might be. If if you can afford to buy a bike so you can drive to work. You know. Maybe it's what God hasn't planned for you and how you could never have saw where you're at now. You could never have seen that coming. But now you realize it was coming. 
and you'd set yourself up for it. So you're trying to backpedal and figure out how to right the ship. You know, so, you know, I, I read that and I thought, man, that is, that's so much of how it really is. And I talked about talking about these two guys, you know, when I started talking. And then I realized I was really talking about myself, you know, about all the things that I did when I was, I was growing up that led me to when I got saved. And then, you know, for the last eight years or so, when I stumble and how God's love doesn't go away from me when I stumble, but I didn't have a media blitz following my every move. <laughs> Knowing, you know, that if I lied or I stole, I cheated, I, I mur- murdered somebody uh, uh, gossip-wise or, you know, shot something out of season. I mean, all these different things, you know, nobody's watching over me. Nobody's saying, that guy right there, that dude's a violator of the law, you know. So, um, so where does that kind of leave you, you know? And for me, this is where it left me. And it's something that I'm going to be spending just a lot of time when I, when I get distraught. And it's a very famous psalm. I think the Taylor kids memorized this. And it's, it's famous. I mean, a lot of people know it. So Psalms 23, and I'm going to read it, and this is how we're going to close. The Lord is my shepherd, and I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Not to my name, but to his name, right? Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. And your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. And surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Not just one, but every single one. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I mean forever. So all the anxieties, all the burdens, the fears, the the question marks. I mean, I know. I mean, I know because I feel like I'm closer to my own stuff than God is. Right? That's a trust issue. You know. I'm comfortable with my stuff and I'll carry it out the door with me and I'll bring it back in. You know, I heard this one thing. It said, uh, they gathered a bunch of group of people and they all had to write down what their biggest fear was. And they all wrote it and they threw it in the middle of the table. There's like 10, 15 people. And then they said, okay, any of those fears that you would rather have, go ahead and take. And they all went around and they all picked up their own fear. Because they didn't know what was tied to the other one. They were comfortable with their own fear. They were comfortable having it in their back pocket. You know, taking it with them. They knew everything that went into making that fear. And they were comfortable with it because they didn't know what those other ones were. So... So trust in him, right? So I'm sure that you guys have got 
you know, just things that you need to commit to the Lord, to get out of the wilderness, to not just sustain, sustaining, right? I mean, to graduating, you know, to being satisfied. I know that's where I'm at. Dave Levin sneezes like a girl, I swear. <laughs> that's why I said it, buddy. I'm faster than you, too. Just a little bit, though. So, anyways, but, um, yeah. So, substance, you know, or sustenance, you know, and satisfaction. So, where would you rather be? Yeah. So, I would love to have Pastor and Teresa and whoever else is, you know, maybe the Roses Whoever else is led to pray, you know, if there's some people here that need, just need some prayer, the Macklins, my folks, you know, I mean, just for prayer, just to help you guys get through, you know. Is my daughter here? I wonder if uh, my kid could come up here and sing. Is she here? She's not even here. Where is my girl at? I would love to have my girl come sing that last song one more time. That'll set a good atmosphere for you guys. So, so what did you guys think? I mean, how about how about how about trusting the Lord? How about encouraging it? You know, it's a it's a heavy it's a heavy message, kinda. But the encouragement that that Jesus is Lord, that if you trust Him, there is no judgment awaiting us. That He wants to prosper you. That He wants to heal you. That he wants the anxiety to be gone. Say you're already healed, but you're nervous about... I had a friend of mine that, that uh, had cancer, you know. And she, she grips every year she has to go get checked out. Every year, right? But not so much anymore, you know. She's saved, you know. And she still gets a little nervous. So she calls and asks for prayer. Like before I came up here, I texted a couple of my buddies over at the Freedom Star. Say, hey, just remember I'm preaching today, so keep me in prayer. You know, but I wasn't scared. I mean, I'm not scared of you, Mike. Maybe. So, all right. Is she here? Oh, there she is. All right. So, anybody needs to leave some uh, some burdens? How about we just leave them all right here? And how about we don't take them out there? Because you know, our walk depends on it. You know. And our friends, they see that, that are not saved. And it all just needs to go. Needs to go so we can just further God's kingdom. I mean, I know you guys have got friends and uncles and aunts, grandfolks, neighbors. That you know it would just be a ball to have them up in heaven with you. And right now they're not going there. So the best way is to clear out ourselves before we start preaching. And the best way is to lead by examples. Godly examples. Ones that might crush you for the moment. But it'll bring you glory later. And more importantly, God will entrust you to glorify Him. So on that note, how about we get some prayer?
Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word that you filled with me. I thank you that, like in Luke twelve twelve, it says that the Holy Spirit will intercept and give me words when maybe I don't think I have them. That you help me to teach. I thank you that as I study every week that it seems like I get to learn more. I might get to share a word, but if they could only feel what I feel at 9.30 last night when I text Pat and I told him that there's so many different dimensions to God and I get to glimpse them all the time. But I pray that everyone here would, would throw their anxieties or fears, just throw them down at your feet, Lord. And know that they don't need to carry it, that they don't need to have the baggage, the luggage, the distress. Lord, I pray that you encourage them and you put a smile on their face, Lord. And you just you just come back soon because God knows we miss you. In Jesus' name, amen.